With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. If you are a Saints fan, I have no idea how you slept last night. If you are a Vikings fan, I also have no idea how you slept last night. We thought it was going to be the best game of the divisional round weekend going into the end of Friday's show. And I'll be damned if we didn't get one of the best games in the history of the NFL playoffs, an immediate classic, the first ever walk-off touchdown in the history of the NFL postseason, a play that will leave Saints fans asking how over and over again, and a play that I do believe will put the Minnesota Vikings into the Super Bowl It is one that will belong to the ages, and we obviously are going to begin the show with what I haven't even imagined is (laughs) incredible calls from the audio featuring the Vikings celebratory audio and the abject despair from the New Orleans Saints audio. I want to go ahead and hit both those with you right off the break here. Wake you up early in the morning as you're in your car, driving in, getting ready to start off your work week. Uh, This is improbable and extraordinary end-of-game situation audio from the Saints and from the Vikings. Let's start with the Saints Here is what it sounded like if you thought you were about to advance to the NFC title game in the Eagles uh, and you were listening to the radio down in New Orleans. Here's Keenan dropping, looking, throwing near sideline, and it's caught by Stephon Diggs. He's going to take it inside the 15, 10, 5, touchdown on the final play of this game. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? 
He could have came up and just tackled him. He stuck, put his head down, and he didn't step out of bounds then. They're going to review it, but he didn't step out of bounds. Pretty calm, actually, from the Saints there as their season comes to a crushing close. Here's what it sounded like on the Vikings radio network. Case on a deep drop, steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side, caught by Diggs. Stay oh, my God, oh, my God! Oh, my God! Oh, my God! Are you kidding me? It's a Minneapolis no miracle! Step on Diggs! And the Minnesota oh, Vikings have lost up on the New Orleans Saints. It's a 61-yard Minneapolis miracle. Now, if you were watching this live, as I was, as millions of others were, as many of you were as well listening to me right now, I just, I, I, I immediately when this happened, I thought back to the biggest blown plays in sports history, just automatically. And the one that immediately came to mind for me was Raheem Moore. I believe it was in 2012. If you remember that game, if you were watching it live like I was as well, uh, the first year, I think, that Peyton Manning was in uh, Denver, the Baltimore Ravens are down, basically done. They're pinned back at their other end of the field. There's less than a minute to play, and Raheem Moore is playing safety, and all he has to do is knock the ball down. Instead, he whiffs on the uh, on knocking the ball down, and the Broncos' season comes to a close. Now, if you're a Broncos fan, the positive is that eventually you would win a Super Bowl in the final year of Peyton Manning's career. I guess that was 2015. You would also lose another Super Bowl, the one in New York City, when Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks went and got their first uh, Super Bowl win. But what an absolutely brutal way to have your season end. And, and, And the thing that's just so devastating about it one, it's a teachable moment. And I, and I say sports are important because one of the things that you should learn in sports at an early age is always be thinking about what you're going to do before the situation presents itself. And I know he's a rookie, and I know that it's an uh, incredibly difficult miss. But to me, what's amazing about this play is Marcus Williams, I believe, the safety there, All he needs to do is play it calm. He doesn't need to try to rush full speed with his head down and blow up this catch. The play here is just to allow the catch to be made, to put himself into position, to basically get his hands on Diggs and keep him in bounds. Because as long as he gets his hands on Diggs and slows him up in any way, his other guys are going to get there and they're going to make a group tackle and or force Diggs to immediately start trying to lateral the football because there's no way he's going to be able to get out of bounds. So as long as you make the tackle, then the game is over. There's no way that the Vikings are going to be able to get up on the ball, clock it, and kick a field goal to win. As long as you make the tackle here, the game is over. I mean, if you watch the end-of-game situation, first of all, Case Keenum has no idea what to do. It's an incredibly joyous event, and I don't want to take away from what a remarkable ending it was, but I think the question that a lot of you are asking is, is this more of a choke job by the Saints or a victory by the 
Vikings, and I think it's more of a choke job by the Saints by far. Let me give you another example. I was in the crowd for what I think was probably the most improbable ending of a game since this one, 20 years ago, the Music City Miracle. When you watch that game, it was an improbable ending for the Titans to nearly walk off there. There were 16 seconds left on the clock, I believe. It was similar in that the uh, the Bills in that game had just kicked a field goal to take the lead. You thought the game was over. And when you go back and watch that play, it's not necessarily, yes, look, the Bills did not play great special teams defense on that play, but it's an expertly designed play at that exact moment in time, ex- expertly executed by the Titans, such that I think when you go back and look at that play, you say, man, that's more the Titans making a play and winning it than it is the Bills collapsing. And I apologize to everybody starting off their day in New York and beyond who are Bills fans for bringing up this game. But that's the other thing that I thought about. I thought about Raheem Moore, and I thought about the Music City Miracle and the incredible swing and emotions that you have. And that win, obviously, in that game was also propelling the Titans into the Super Bowl. And I think the Vikings are going to feel like a team of destiny now, and I believe they will beat the Eagles this coming weekend and advance to the Super Bowl. I think they'll play the Patriots. We obviously have a lot of other games to unpack here as well as we react to all the divisional round playoff games. Also, happy Martin Luther King Day to everybody out there. A lot of you are working. We tend to work on the holidays just like we did Christmas Eve and just like we did New Year, I mean Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, and New Year's Day as well here on Fox Sports. New Year's Day, yeah, as well on Fox Sports Radio. We work the holidays, especially when it's the holiday of Monday after major NFL or college football action. And so to me, I thought about Raheem Moore in 2012, and I thought about the situation in the Music City Miracle, and this is just, to me, such an abject failure by the Saints that it's hard for me to do anything other than think, man, I I don't know how you react if you are a Saints fan because it's one thing if you lose because of the expert play of somebody else. This was just the Saints completely giving away the game. And Williams didn't just miss the tackle. He also managed to take out the other DB on the side of the field that might have had a play on Diggs if he hadn't gotten taken out. I mean, what an unbelievable experience. I don't know how, right before the ha- a little bit before this, they had shown the 100-year-old uh, Minnesota Vikings fan, Millie, or 99 or wh- whatever her age was. I don't know how she's still alive. I-, I don't know how she survived that play. I don't know how anybody did uh, on both the Saints and the Vikings sideline, as well as for Saints and Vikings fans. It's an iconic, classic, immediate game that will be talked about for the next several generations when we talk about the way that games end in the NFL. It's a play that will be used in countless high school, college, NFL locker rooms to the rest of mankind to instruct what not to do at the safety position on the final play of a game. All you had to do was play safely there. Allow the catch to be made. Put yourself into a position that the moment Diggs comes back down after making the catch, you are there to wrap him up. Just slow him down. If you just get your hands on him, there will be other defensive backs there to make the tackle. Just keep him in bounds, and the game is over. That's actually what's so difficult about it, I would imagine, for Saints coaches is as good of a play as Diggs made to get up high and catch the ball. 
that's actually exactly what the Saints wanted to have happen, for a pass to be completed in the field that guarantees they can make the tackle in bounds, and the game is over. It's impossible at that point in time for the Vikings to get out of bounds if, it, if the DBs do a good job, and it's certainly impossible for them to get up on the line and spike the ball. Just a, a improbable failure by the Saints, and what's got to sting so much, it's one thing when you lose and you feel like, okay, well, we basically exceeded our goals. We went as far as we could go. This Saints team could have won the Super Bowl. I think this Saints team, if they had gotten past that tackle, if they had made that tackle on the road against the Vikings, I think the Saints team would have gone on the road and beaten the Eagles too. I told you last weekend, I believe that this game was effectively the NFC Championship game. Whoever won between the Vikings and the Saints, in my opinion, would be going to the Super Bowl. I still stand by that, and I think if the Saints had beaten the Vikings, they would have gone on the road and beaten the Eagles too. So it's not just that you lost if you're the Saints fan. It's that you lost and you would have otherwise been in the Super Bowl. And by the way, I think the Saints would have had a pretty good chance to win the Super Bowl too. What an unbelievable ending. We've got audio, I believe, of Stefan Diggs reacting to the play as well. Let's hear that. I still don't know what just happened. <laughs> I really don't. Yes. All I can say is give it to God because without him, nothing nothing is possible, and I wouldn't be here. So, damn, that shit feel good. Other thing I would say is can we end the trend of thanking God I mean, if you're thanking God there, what you're basically saying is, God, thank you for hating Marcus Williams. God, thank you for ensuring that Marcus Williams made the dumbest play maybe in the history of any safety in the NFL. God, thank you for kicking Marcus Williams to the curb here. God doesn't care about sporting events. So saying glory to God, thank you, God, for this play. Thank you for blessing me. Like, if you're going to make that argument, what you're effectively also saying is, God, thank you for hating Marcus Williams. Thank you for making him make the dumbest play in the history of the NFL. Thank you for making him suddenly lose his mind and not realize that all he needed to do was tackle me at the 35-yard line after I caught a pass because the clock was going to run out. God doesn't care about sporting events, regardless of how religious you are. And he certainly is not glorifying you there at the expense of Marcus Williams. Here's what happened. Stephon Diggs made a play. Case Keenum made a play, and Marcus Williams completely and totally blew it. It happens, but my God, I don't know how. If, you, Like I said, when I started off the show, if you were a Saints or a Vikings fan, you are in any way able to sleep last night. 877-996-6369. We'll continue to react to this game, this classic, as well as break down everything that took place in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. We'll talk about all these games and more. Only one guest today. Jason Whitlock is going to join us in hour three. He's going to get up early out on the West Coast. Hasn't been on the show in a while, but always is must-listen radio when he comes on with us. So uh, we will talk to him in hour three. If you are listening on the podcast, you can plan ahead accordingly. I am Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage. Your calls as well, 877-996-6369. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Progressive Insurance, creators of the Name Your Price tool. Choose from a range of coverage options and pick the price that works for you. Visit Progressive.com today. 
Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Uh, obviously, beginning the show, talking about the end of the Saints-Vikings game, three other games took place. Let's quickly hit on what happened in those divisional round playoff games, 877-996-6369. Uh, the earliest possible game, it came down to whether or not Julio Jones could make a catch in the back corner of the end zone in the Falcons and the Eagles game. The ball went right through his hand on on fourth down. I think if he had been able, it's a great photo uh, that's out of the ball literally going through the top of Julio Jones's hands. I mean, to me, that's a, a play that you live with over and over and over again. I know his foot came down out of bounds, but I think that's because he knew the ball was already gone. I believe if Julio Jones had been able to corral that pass, he would have come down, gotten his feet in, and the Falcons likely would have beaten the Eagles. Uh, very questionable play calling there, as oftentimes it seems that there is when there was a first and goal situation for the Jags, just absolutely, uh, sorry, first and goal situation there for the Falcons. Just, uh, I think Steve Sarkeesian overthought things, but the Eagles managed to pull off the small upset and beat the Falcons. Now, I've already said, I think the Vikings are going to go on the road now. They seem like a team of destiny. I would be very surprised if they don't beat the Eagles. Now, I know if you're an Eagles fan, you're saying, hey, we're playing at home. We haven't won a uh, Super Bowl or a league championship since before the Super Bowl even existed. Going all the way back to 1960, they feel like at this home game, this is their opportunity to uh, to get things done. So we'll see what exactly transpires in this game. But I would be very surprised if the Vikings don't win and Case Keenum and crew don't go on to the Super Bowl in Minnesota, which, by the way, you have to mortgage your soul to get tickets for if you are a Vikings fan and the Super Bowl is actually taking place in Minnesota. If you own a couple of Super Bowl tickets and you're thinking about selling them, you need to be rooting as hard as you possibly can for the Vikings to find a way to win this game and advance to a Super Bowl in their hometown. I would imagine that would become one of the most difficult tickets in the history of sports, honestly, because I think that Viking fans would do whatever it takes. You're also then staying at home. You don't have to pay for your airfare. It'd be a very similar to what happened in the Georgia-Alabama uh, title game in Atlanta where so many Georgia fans drove up the cost to $2,000 or more to get into that game. So the Eagles get the win. Ball goes through Julio Jones's hands there at the end. Very even game going back and forth, effectively a coin flip style game that the Eagles won over the Falcons. Now, Titans. Titans came out and got just their teeth kicked in in this game in the second half, but there were two absolutely indefensible calls that I got a question for you. I got a good question that I think actually makes total sense. If the NFL is going to allow so many plays to be replayed, why don't you get one challenge to a judgment call that you can toss the flag for and allow New York to say, you know what, they got it wrong? I mean, I, I I don't know why we have set this precept in place of we're not going to review judgment calls. What if a judgment call is 100% wrong? Shouldn't you be able to challenge a judgment call if somebody gets it objectively wrong? Why did we ever set this parameter in place? We say, oh, we only review things that you can tell whether or not 
they are correct. You know, spot of the ball, whether a catch was made. What about when a call is totally blown? Shouldn't we be able to review a bad judgment call? Why should you not have the ability to challenge a bad judgment call? Because early in the, like 10 minutes left in the second quarter in a tie game, the official blew a call on a first down pass play to Eric Decker for the Titans. It's clearly not offensive pass interference. It's the kind of play that happens all game long. He blew it. Why should that not be reviewable, looked at by the league, and say, you know what? Yeah, that's not an offensive pass interference call. That's a no call. First down Titans. Why shouldn't you be able to challenge that? And then later, I saw something that only happens to the Patriots. I saw a illegal procedure called on a punt. 14-7, Patriots are punting from their own end zone. I saw an illegal procedure called. The, the refs go talk. They then turn it into an offsides, and it becomes a first down for the Patriots, and effectively, they score on that drive, go the length of the field to go up 21-7. Patriots should have given the ball to the refs so they could spike it after that play. Two blown calls, I think, in the first half, second quarter, that effectively ended that game. Now, I don't think the Titans would have won regardless because I think the Patriots are going to beat the crap out of the, the Jags this weekend. Uh, coming up, and I think they're going to beat the crap out of whoever they play in the Super Bowl, and I think Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are going to win their sixth Super Bowl. This is the route that Tom Brady has to go to the Super Bowl now. He has to beat Marcus Mariota, which he did. He has to beat Blake Bortles, which he'll do, and then he has to beat either Nick Foles or Case Keenum. I'm sorry, but Nick Foles and Case Keenum, neither one, are beating Tom Brady in the Super Bowl and there is no way on this planet that Blake Bortles is going into Foxborough and beating Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. It's just not going to happen. So congratulations to the Patriots on winning their sixth sixth title. Now, maybe Brady gets hurt. Maybe that could happen. Maybe Gronk gets hurt, and the offense completely changes. Okay, if there's an injury situation, that's the only way I can see the Patriots losing, not winning the Super Bowl this year. I think the suspense is gone. Drew Brees would have been really entertaining in a game against Tom Brady. That would have been a game where I'd sit back and say, okay, we got two Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, the high-level potential play with what this Saints offense can do against a Patriots defense that's just okay. I would have loved to have seen that game. But we're not going to see that because Marcus Williams, the safety, couldn't make a basic tackle in an end-of-game situation, and instead Minnesota walked off with a miracle. And then the other game, I got to give props. Blake Bortles made enough plays in the fourth quarter that he was able to get his team over the victory line. What's stunning to me about this game between the Steelers and the Jags is not that it ended in a three-point loss. Because I think if you had told me, guess what? The Jags are going to go on the road and they're going to beat the Steelers 17-14, to something like that. There is no way on God's green earth that the Pittsburgh Steelers should score 42 points in a home playoff game and lose. Period. End of story. No other further explanation necessary. It just shouldn't be possible. Shouldn't be possible for Ben Roethlisberger to throw for 450 yards or whatever the heck he ended up with. 
five touchdown passes, four touchdown passes, whatever he had, and lose that football game. Now, I know he got picked off once inside the 20. Next thing you know, Leonard Fournette's rushing for a touchdown there to put the uh, to put the Jags on the way to going up 21-0. I know that we also had the hit and the fumble recovery for a touchdown, but all I'm saying is if you are the Steelers, the reputation that you have, the talent that you have, there's no way you should lose a game where you score 42 points. It just shouldn't be possible. And I don't know how much heat Mike Tomlin is going to come in for, but this Steelers team is really, really, really talented to not be able to make the Super Bowl or even this year the AFC title game is pretty difficult, I think, for most Steeler fans to handle. That should have been a team that was in the playoff. There's no doubt at all about, I mean, that was into the Super Bowl or at least in the AFC title game where you could come back and say, hey, we got screwed on the Jesse James touchdown catch. We go on the road in, in Foxborough and we lost a really close game. That at least could have happened. I did not see at all the possibility of Blake Bortles winning, Case Keenum, and Nick Foles winning. The three better quarterbacks in those games all lost. Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, and Ben Roethlisberger. And as a result, I honestly think the Patriots have got the easiest road to the Super Bowl they have ever had of any of their journeys. Because you can't tell me again, that Tom Brady is going to lose to Blake Bortles or Nick Foles or Case Keenum in a major game that matters. And all of you can come around, you can say, yeah, but the defenses are so good. Look at the Jags defense and look at the Vikings. I don't care. I don't care at all about that. Tom Brady is the best quarterback in the history of the NFL and Bill Belichick is the best coach and certainly on the defensive side of the ball coach that we've ever seen in the history of the NFL. If you think that he's going to allow his team to lose to Blake Bortles or to Nick Foles or Case Keenum, you are insane. You have lost your mind. Let me bring in Eddie Garcia, get an update on all that took place in the world of sports, and we'll take some of your calls, 877-996-6369. Bring in the crew as well. What you got for me, Eddie? Well, Clay, we obviously have to talk about the NFL Divisional Playoffs. NFC side, as you've talked about, the Vikings with a miracle finish against the Saints. 29-24 Minnesota wins. Now, they had a 17-0 lead at the half, but ended up trailing in the final moments. 24-23, 10 seconds left. Case Keenum, quarterback for Minnesota, hit wide receiver Stephon Diggs with a 61-yard touchdown pass. With no time left, he scores the touchdown, and that vaults the Vikings into the NFC Championship game. They'll take on the Eagles in Philadelphia next Sunday. On the AFC side, Jaguars jump out to a 21-0 lead in Pittsburgh and route to a 45-42 win over the Steelers. Jacksonville running back Leonard Fournette had 109 yards rushing and three touchdowns. Pittsburgh quarterback Ben Roethlisberger had five touchdown passes, but not enough to get his team to win. Jaguars will play in Foxborough against the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. On Sunday, this report is brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you know the exact price you'll pay for your next car, so visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And claim one more note from the NFL. The Detroit Lions will reportedly hire Patriots defensive coordinator Matt Patricia as their next head coach. He has run the New England defense since 2012.
Seems like a great hire. Coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Going to bring in the crew, and I want to ask you guys this question. Was it more of a choke job by the Saints or an improbable, incredible play by the Vikings at the end of this game. Because if you're just waking up and you're listening to us right now, the way that I would describe this play is if you go back and look at crazy walk-off almost plays in the history of the NFL, there are sometimes you watch them and you say, okay, credit to the offense for making the play, but that seems more like a choke job. For instance, if you go baseball, Bill Buckner, total choke job by Bill Buckner. Credit to the Mets for making the play, but effectively that is an error. If you handed out errors in the NFL, you know, you get a hit, you got on base, yeah, but it was an error. This wouldn't count as a touchdown for Stephon Diggs. If you were giving out errors, you would say that was an error on Marcus Williams. And it wasn't just an error. It was an egregious error. It was a, what in the world are you thinking? Just stay there and make the play error. Versus, let's say, the last time we've had a play somewhat like this, I would say the Music City Miracle. To me, that's a, what you watch that and you say, okay, I understand, but look at all these things that had to happen. Look at that improbable throw by Frank Wycheck, the catch by Kevin Dyson. Yes, the defense was out of position, but they made an incredible play. Like that was a design play that worked exactly as it was intended. What was the play here by Case Keenum? Throw it up and pray, and frankly, his Hail Mary got answered. But it wasn't like it should have been. And it wasn't even a Hail Mary because at least in a Hail Mary, the ball's in the end zone. You know, there's Aaron Rodgers touchdown passes. The ball's in the end zone and it kind of bounce around. And that's just the quirks of the game. Sometimes you get a good bounce. Sometimes you get a bad bounce. This, to me, was more of a choke job than it was a successful play by the Vikings. All credit to the Vikings for what was an amazing ending. I brought in my seven-year-old to watch the end of this game. I was like, man, you got to see this. I feel like something crazy might happen. We'll see. And uh, and he was just, his mind was blown by this. I'm like, yeah, people will be talking about this for the next 20, 40, 60 years as the craziest way for an NFL game to end, in all honesty. But it was much more like, to me, the Raheem Moore play in 2012 where the Ravens scored a touchdown and went on to win the Super Bowl that year. Because a lot of times, again, when you get a crazy play like this, it's just psychologically the team doesn't feel like they can lose. And I feel like they're definitely going to go to the Super Bowl. If you remember the Music City Miracle year, the Titans got tackled at the one-yard line, but they went on to win two more road playoff games. I feel like there's, I, I feel like I should put every dollar that I have on the Vikings to go on the road and win against the Eagles on Sunday. But let me bring in Jason Martin. Is it more of a choke job by the Saints or a heroic, incredible play by the Vikings? I wouldn't say it's a choke job. First of all, they came back from so far down, but it was just a bad play. I The Raheem Moore play, I thought about it too. Obviously, as a Broncos fan, I had to live through that and watch what happened after the fact. But Williams just made a bad play. That team did not choke the game away. I, I can't call it a choke because one guy, especially a rookie, made a rookie play, made a mistake. Somebody should have told him or they assumed that he knew better. I don't know. Diggs still had to make the play. Keenum still had to lay the ball up there. But in the end, Williams should have waited and let him make that catch and try to take him down after the fact. He certainly shouldn't have 
lunged at him the way that he did. But I think choke is way too strong a word. I think it was just a miraculous play. That's why they're calling it the Minneapolis Miracle or the Minnesota Miracle today. But I can't go so far as to call it a choke job for the Saints. And as you mentioned, the Ravens, after they beat the Broncos, went and won the Super Bowl. I believe the Vikings are going to do the exact same thing. I think they're going to win the Super Bowl as well. I think there's no way they're going to beat the Patriots. You give you give Bill Belichick two weeks to get ready for Case Keenum. There is, in my opinion, no way that the Vikings are going to win that football game. I, I just I refuse You're wrong, to believe. But that's fine. I refuse to believe that that's likely to happen. More of a choke by the Saints, or what's the opposite of a choke? What would we call it? I'm trying to think right now as I do a poll question because I'm curious what you guys are going to say. You can find me on Twitter at Clay Travis uh, on Twitter. What's the exact opposite of a choke? Like. A heroic play? Like, I'm trying to think right now. How would I even phrase this? Was it more of a choke by the Saints, or right now I just have a win by the Vikings? Like, what is the opposite of a choke? Like, a uh, clutch, clutch win? Um, I guess maybe clutch win. Let's go out to LA. Which, what do you, how would you guys assess that question? More of a choke by the Saints, or a clutch win by the Vikings? I would say it's more of a choke by the Saints, and not just because of Marcus Williams whiffing on the tackle. I mean, that's the obvious you know, error there. But there's a, a GIF going around on Twitter that the NFL put together next-gen stats that shows the the diagram of how the play broke down with, you know, individual dots moving across the screen. Whatever defense that uh, Dennis Allen called on that play was quite possibly the worst defense you could have in that situation. There are two guys not guarding anybody about 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. There's only two safeties on the field one of them is covering half the field with another receiver not within 15 yards of him. I don't I don't understand in general and I think this is this is kind of indicative of how coaches end up in situations that they haven't prepared for because it is relatively rare, right, that you would be in a situation where a team is completely out of timeouts like the uh like the Vikings were and all you have to do is just tackle them in bounds. Right, I mean that's literally all the Saints had to do, and that's not very common, right? It's not very common that you would say, "Okay, let them catch the ball, and then don't even worry about that." You know, but, but all you have to do is keep them out of bounds, keep them in bounds, and so I think what they were trying to do was guard the sidelines and avoid the guys getting out of bounds, and in the process, I don't know what Williams was thinking. Uh, I mean, I really don't, because what's crazy about this, too, is you can say, okay, the moment got to him, he was overwhelmed, but if I'm not mistaken, we had two timeouts, didn't we, down the stretch almost there, where where everybody could be told, hey, here's the situation, the Vikings have no timeouts left, I know the Vikings just took, you know, two plays before that, their last, last timeout, where everybody should instruct to the guys, hey, Whatever you do, just keep them in front of you and tackle them inbounds, and the game is going to end. Because there's literally a 0% chance that all of the Vikings are going to be able to get up to wherever the pass is caught, get on the line, get in a formation, and have the ball spiked. It's just it's a mathematical improbability, and I just think they were not prepared for this. I'll take some of your calls, 877-996-6369. The poll question is up. I'd like to hear from you guys out there as well. Is this more of a choke by the Saints or an improbable clutch win for the Vikings? How would you assess this? To me, it's much more of a choke by the Saints than it is a clutch win by the Vikings. Final segment, Hour 1, up next, your reactions. This is Outkick the Coverage, Divisional Round Playoff Edition. 
on Fox Sports Radio. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance as well. Wouldn't you love a bigger tax refund? TaxSlayer was recently rated number one for maximum refund, so you have more cash to spend on whatever the heck you want this tax season. Go out and slay it. Max your refund at TaxSlayer.com. Let me also go ahead and uh, and hit you here with the numbers on this game. People say, okay, what do we got for the NFC and the AFC championship game? Uh, this according to Odd Shark, the, the odds came out almost immediately. The Jags are a nine-and-a-half-point underdog to the Patriots, nearly a double-digit underdog. The over-under in this game is 47. Then this is uh, Minnesota Vikings at the Eagles. The Vikings are a three-and-a-half-point favorite over the Eagles, and the over-under in this game is 40. Odds to win the Super Bowl, the Patriots basically have moved to even money. Uh, the Patriots now 11-10 to 10 to win the Super Bowl. The Vikings 2-1. to one. The Eagles 5-1. to one. And the Jacksonville Jaguars are still 8-1 to one to win the Super Bowl. So still not a lot of belief there. Uh, we've got some calls. I put a poll question up. Um, and uh, I'm interested in your reactions right now. Let's see... Uh, few thousand of you are voting automatically more of a choke by the saints or a clutch win by the vikings 65 percent of you are saying it was a choke by the saints let's go to some of your calls try to be quick i'll roll through uh tim in north carolina what's up tim let's go ahead and uh and wait on that let's see if we can get the uh the call situation kind of uh set up there uh, we got Tim in North Carolina, Gabe in California, Paul in Fargo, North Dakota, Kevin in New Orleans, uh, Banks in Miami. Uh, no, I, I can't hear um, at all. So maybe we need to have those guys hang on. Um, and uh, I uh, will see exactly what the situation is with the calls. But again, you guys hang with us and uh, we'll come back to you. Um, and uh, Tim in North Carolina will be up first. And um, I, I think, again, the question here is going to be what exactly is, uh, is going to uh, transpire when you look at the AFC and the NFC title games now. Because to me, what ultimately comes out of this situation in general is that the Patriots, as you just heard, have become a prohibitive favorite. And obviously, the Vikings are also a decent favorite as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. But the Patriots are nearly double-digit favorites. I think this line will end up around 10. And you can say defense wins championships, and you can trot out all of the usual cliches that people drop in situations such as these. And it still doesn't exactly ring true that you are going to be able to win with a journeyman quarterback. If you go all the way back to 2000 when Trent Dilfer won, other than that, effectively the quarterbacks that have won the Super Bowl have been basically Hall of Fame guys. I mean, all the way throughout the 21st century. Um, And I know you can say, look, Joe Flacco won one, and he wasn't that good, but you think about who else has won. Obviously, since the 2000 season, You've got Tom Brady, who's won five. 
You got Peyton Manning, who's won two. Drew Brees has won one. Eli has won two that he effectively stole from uh, from uh, Tom Brady when the when the Patriots had superior teams. You've got, and by the way, that'll be a huge storyline here. Tom Coughlin going up against the team that he has regularly handled when it comes to the uh, the postseason, really. I mean, right, Tom Coughlin was in charge of both of those Giants teams. So if you're a Jags fan, you can say, oh, Tom Coughlin is the guy who beats uh, beats and wins all of these situations um, and, and, and how important it is that you've got Coughlin on your side. you got Russell Wilson, who I think looks like, he's still young in his career, but looks like he's a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback. You run through the, the roster of guys who have gotten it done – other than Trent Dilfer, it's been almost impossible for journeyman quarterbacks to win Super Bowls. Now, maybe, maybe out there, Trent Dilfer is going to be uh, reincarnated with either Case Keenum or Nick Foles or Blake Bortles. But I just find it impossible to believe that any of those guys are going to be capable of beating Tom Brady. And not just Tom Brady, beating Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. You've got Belichick as a mad defensive genius with all the time in the world to design defenses for either Case Keenum or Nick Foles, I just don't see either one of those guys having a very good Super Bowl against him. Could be wrong, certainly, but I don't see it happening. And that's because, and that's not despite the fact that I don't think the Patriots are that talented of a roster in the grand scheme of things. I think the Steelers are a much more talented roster than the Patriots, certainly in terms of game-breaking players. And I, the other crazy thing about this is does the win over the Steelers mean that Blake Bortles is going to make like $100 million now? What do you do if you are the Jags? Would you, is there a single Jags fan out there who would not much rather have Kirk Cousins? Would not much rather have, uh, certainly it's crazy, hardly anybody is talking about it, but Drew Brees is an unrestricted free agent. Now he's saying he's going to re-sign with the Saints, but... What if the Jags just threw $35 million at Drew Brees for one year? Would you not think that the that would immediately make the Jags potentially a Super Bowl favorite? With their talent, Leonard Fournette running back, getting the receiver core, receiving core back healthy? I mean, I, I would be tempted to do that if I were if I were con. If I were the owner of the Jags, I'd be very tempted to just say to Drew Brees, I understand what New Orleans has meant to you but I'll give you $35 million for a one-year deal. Come here and win a Super Bowl with us. It would be hard to press to say no to it, but seems like Drew Brees wants to stay in New Orleans. Seems like the Saints are going to rebuild, um, try to rebuild from this collapse at the end of the season. They should have been in the Super Bowl. They're not. Hour one, just about in the books. We'll continue to take your calls. We'll get our phone lines figured out. 877-996-6369. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Uh, What an incredible and improbable ending to the Saints-Vikings game on uh, the final game. We thought it was going to be the best game. We were right. The final game of the divisional round weekend. Uh, I'm asking the question on Twitter right now. Was it more of a choke by the Saints or a clutch win by the Vikings? Overwhelmingly rolling in the opinion it was a choke by the Saints. Say 67% of you 
several thousand votes rolling in right here off the top. Poll question for the day there. 33% of you are saying it was a clutch win by the Vikings. You can find me on Twitter at Clay Travis and go cast your vote one way or the other as you see fit. Again, coming up on nearly 3,000 votes. I am on record. You can file it away. You can load up the phone lines in advance for three weeks from now. If I happen to be wrong, we will be in Minnesota during doing a entire week of shows live from Radio Row surrounding the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. And I believe that effectively with the results of the divisional round playoff games, Tom Brady and the Patriots won their sixth Super Bowl. Congrats to them. There is no way Blake Bortles is going to beat Tom Brady or Bill Belichick on the road in Foxborough. There is no way that with two weeks to prepare that Bill Belichick is going to lose to either Nick Foles or Case Keenum in the Super Bowl. I find the idea downright laughable. I think the Patriots will win both of these games by double digits. Congrats to the New England Patriots on their sixth national championship on their sixth Super Bowl. All right. Let's find out what we have in terms of our phone lines. Let's see if they're working. Everybody but me seems to be able to hear. This is an improbable outcome in its own right, uh, the equivalent of a, uh, of a walk-off touchdown here, 877-996-6369. Let's test it out. Let's go up to North Dakota where it's minus 55 degrees, I believe, right now. Let's see if I can hear Paul in Fargo. What's up, Paul? Yeah, zero. So I don't know what's going on, but the calls are uh, off the board. We've got to figure that out to see whether or not we got Jason Whitlock in hour three. So uh, we're going to need to uh, to bring in NASA and figure out what has somehow happened. Let's bring in Jason Martin because I can see him right now just furious, throwing things uh, as we try to figure out what's going on with the board here. What in the world could happen here? What do we need to do? Bring in SpaceX technology? Do we need Elon Musk to come in and figure out what's going on with our uh, with our board here? If I knew the answer to that question, I could I'd hear be able you. To fix like it. how how unbelievable is this? Like we we have had like let's go ahead and bring in the the story here. We have had with this board. I think we have like the board from like 1970s lost. Every time that I see our board and that that I think about this studio. It's like we're in 1970s Lost era. You know, like Lost, one of the great television shows. And you come in and, like, you push all these different buttons and it's, like, insanely improbable and everything else and the way it works. And it makes uh, – it, it, it just feels like we're in, we're in a different universe. But we talked about all the things that happened in the Vikings-Saints game. I haven't asked you or brought in the crew to talk about any of the other games – the Viking Saints game was, I think, the most competitive throughout, right? In that I know they got down 17 nothing, but you never really felt like the Vikings were necessarily getting stopped. I mean, they threw the touchdown pass late in the first half and had an illegal uh, legal shift, I think it was. But you always felt like Drew Brees was eventually going to get into a rhythm and eventually did. But this game was somewhat similar to what happened with the Jags game, where the Jags came out, got up 21 nothing. But you also never felt like, even after they got up 28-7, especially with that fourth down play, I never really felt like the Steelers were out of that game no matter what the end result was in terms of the amount of uh, of points that were being scored. Did you feel like that too, that the Steelers were going to make a play at some point? I knew that game was going to tighten up. 
Uh, I felt like when they when the Jags got up to their largest lead, I felt like they had the game won with that pass defense. And it was it was miraculous plays. I mean, Brown was making some incredible catches. You had Roethlisberger out here throwing laterals backwards and doing these fake deals. It looks like he needed rec specs, and he was waiting for time on a racquetball court while he was outside at the YMCA with some of the plays that he was trying to do to beat that defense. But, yeah, I mean, I did think it was going to tighten up. In the other case, I felt like the Vikings had that game in control, and then Andrew Sandejo was knocked out with that concussion, and the very next play they went to the guy he was covering – and through that first touchdown uh, when he was off the field. I thought that was a huge change. And when that happened, I started to see, wait, wait a minute, maybe we're right. Maybe the Saints are going to be able to come back and win this football game. And certainly they would have had it not been for that crazy play. But Sunday's games, just as a whole, were really, really fun to watch. Jacksonville gets up, but you never quite trust Jacksonville. There's, you're always ready to fire out that Blake Bortles tweet. Like I don't know that there's ever been an athlete that I've watched in the NFL where I've got a tweet ready to fire, uh, some kind of zinger, some kind of line about Blake Bortles, and then you're in the fourth quarter and you just start kind of deleting those deleting well, those characters I, first away. Of all, the play call on the touchdown pass to the fullback was a thing of beauty it on was. the goal line play there because they've run, run, run Leonard Fournette. They're in a goal line situation. When you see that fullback coming through, you think, okay, he's the lead, and it's play action. I don't know how you don't go for that. I mean, that is a – I mean, that, that play call to get to the – that was the 40 – was that to get to 45 for them? Uh, the final touchdown that they scored was – or 42 because they kicked the field goal late. Yes. That was just a thing of beauty. We haven't even talked about this. I need to go to this. The decision to onside kick by Mike Tom. Dumb. I feel so dumb. like it's going to get lost – in all of because we even like start with the craziness of Williams and his missed tackle at the end of the Vikings game. You cannot make this is look, I, I want to get on my soapbox here for a minute. We hear so much about how many hours NFL coaches and college football coaches spend preparing all the film that they watch, all of the work that they do. I don't understand how they consistently make bad decisions on the sideline. For instance, there were so many things that happened. I'll just use Sunday for an example. The decision by the Steelers to not kick off deep when they cut that score to 42-35, to I think it was, right? 42-35. There are two minutes and 18 seconds left, if I'm not mistaken, when they score that touchdown to make it 42-35. They have two timeouts plus the two-minute warning. So, the play there, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is to kick off deep. Because if you don't kick off deep, exactly what we saw happen can happen where the Jags have an opportunity to kick a field goal and effectively end the game. If you kick it off deep, you know that the odds are that the Jags are going to run the ball three times, certainly if Blake Bortles is pinned deep, and they are then going to punt back to you and you will have the ball with no timeouts left. And around, around if you use your timeouts correctly, around two minutes, right? Because immediately with two, let's say you kick off deep and you put it in the end zone, which you should. No time is going to come off the clock. You have two timeouts and the two-minute warning. You should immediately, I think, call a timeout. Now, Mike Tomlin let it run all the way down to two minutes. And that's an intriguing time clock decision in and of itself. The argument there is that by not taking an immediate timeout, 
he he tried to encourage the Jags not to throw the football. I think you immediately take timeouts. I'm saving all the time that I can. And then the two-minute warning is ending there after the third stop. And the Jags are kicking off. And I'm getting the ball punting. And I'm getting the ball back with like 152-ish. Nearly, probably, if we do a good job defensively, probably around the 35-yard line at a minimum. 30 or 35-yard line. And then we have, uh, we have Ben Roethlisberger. The Jags' defense has not stopped us really all day. We've gone up and down the field as good as their defense is. Uh, ben Roethlisberger was on a roll. I feel like there's a good chance that the Steelers would have come back down and tied the game. I really do. I feel like there's virtually no doubt at all that that would have happened. Instead, they kicked the onside kick. On top of doing a really crappy job on the onside kick, they're offsides, so the, so the Jags get an extra five yards. The Jags gain nine yards running the ball three times, are just shy of the first down marker, and come out and bomb through a field goal, and effectively the game's over. Moreover, even at the end of the game of that situation, somehow the Steelers made such bad decisions down the stretch, even when they threw the touchdown pass, there was only one second left, and effectively they had no way to win that game. You have to at least go ahead at some point in time. Like, why would you throw the screen out wide and get tackled in bounds? It just, as much time as we hear that coaches spend preparing for game situations, it always seems like to me that coaches make bad decisions down the stretch. The probability play there is to kick the ball deep with two timeouts and a two-minute warning. Does anybody disagree with that? I mean, if you are a kid playing Madden, you probably make that decision. Kids playing Madden understand how to run the clock situation there. I understand your argument of, oh, we have like a, whatever it is. What what, what percentage of onside kicks in the NFL work? 20%? Is that too high? Well, it doesn't yes, happen it's very too often. High. It's too high. It's somewhere around 10% if the other team actually knows it's coming. I think it actually might be a little bit less than 10. I think the bigger argument that they tried to make for why you would onside kick there and I think it's completely erroneous, is because they had given up five touchdowns to the Jaguars. It's like, well, why wouldn't you make them want to go further down the field? No, they're going to run the, the ball three least. times. Like, none you of have it makes un- any sense. You have to understand this game situation. And even if they do, like, even if you don't think you can stop them, well, you still have to put the ball in their hand, pin deep, and make them make that decision. So many things can happen. You can have a bad snap. We saw Bortles fumble the snap earlier in that game. Uh, in the, I think it was in the fourth quarter, wasn't it, when he just fumbled the snap and had to fall on it? Uh, we saw, or certainly it was in the third quarter. I know it was in the second half. We've seen Blake Bortles make bad decisions at quarterback over and over again. You have to put the onus on the Jags. And look, I think the Jags, you have to sell out for the run. If the Jags decide to throw it and Blake Bortles makes a great throw for a first down, more power to them. They took a risk and it panned out. You have to kick it deep. Is there any disagreement in L.A.? Any disagreement from you guys that you have to kick it deep there? Not at all. Not at all. I was here uh, live on the air when it happened, and across the room in the studio, everyone's like, what the hell are you doing? I said it at the time. I mean, I don't even understand how it's a debate. Uh, Jason Martin saying you have like a 10% chance of getting the onside kick. That's all right. Ignorant. Yeah, even if and, – and, and if they know it's coming, again, I mean, it's just such a bad decision. And then I didn't even like the way that Tomlin took the timeouts either. I think you immediately take the timeout as soon as you stop the play – and you save yourself 10 seconds there. And you say, well, 10 seconds makes a difference. Well, 10 seconds would have certainly made a difference at the end of the game the way that ended. Would it have been different? Maybe. 
if the Steelers had had 11 seconds left after their touchdown pass and if they had been able to uh, at least attempt an onside kick, maybe you get it. You know, If you recover that onside kick and you got one play, you throw downfield. We saw what happened, by the way, with the uh, with the Vikings. I mean, you at least give yourself a chance to win the game. And I think the Tomlin clock management issues are going to totally get lost in all of the controversy surrounding and the celebration surrounding a wild ending there. But to me, that was on Sunday. That was a coach not putting his team in the best possible situation to win. And that's really the whole purpose of the coach, right? That's the entire purpose of what he's doing. So to me, that is a, uh, that's a failure on an epic scale by Mike Tomlin. I feel bad for Steeler fans to have to deal with that. Having said all of that, you can't score 42 points and lose at home if you're the Steelers. You just can't do it. It's one thing to lose. If they had lost 21-17, 17-14, okay, tough defensive struggle. I could understand how that could happen. When you tell me that Ben Roethlisberger is going to throw for 460 yards or whatever the heck he did, and that the Steelers are going to score 42 points on offense, there's no way you can lose that game at home. It just can't happen. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, using TrueCar, you can easily find the car you want with true price from TrueCar. You can avoid the confusion you encounter online by getting a great price you can count on before you ever visit a dealership. The true price includes all dealer fees and accessories. TrueCar will show you what other people in your area paid for the car you want. Now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel confident. And your certified dealers know this, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. Over 3 million cars have sold to TrueCar users by the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network. There are over 15,000 TrueCar Certified Dealers nationwide. TrueCar users save an average of over three grand off MSRP. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. I am Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. This, as always, a confident show. And I, I do think between those two situations, between the Williams-blown play on the field and the Mike Tomlin decision not to kick deep, I'm actually, if I'm a fan, more troubled by the Mike Tomlin decision not to kick deep. Because that, look, the Williams decision is a total mental error. But at least it's in the flow of the game where you got a rookie and sometimes people make bad decisions on the field. And obviously I'm talking about the decision by Williams not to just wait on Stephon Diggs to catch the ball and then tackle him in bounds and have that game end. Sometimes crazy things happen in on-field, dynamic, live game situations. That was, I think, an incredible choke job by a safety. I think they'll use that tape for years and years to teach safeties what not to do in in in-game situations. He was actually playing too aggressive. He was flying to the ball too quickly. All he's got to do as the back guy there is just erase right he's just got to erase the play he's just got to wait for digs to come down he doesn't even have to make the tackle probably he just has to get his hands on digs and slow him up and then there's a couple of defensive backs right there who will arrive and gang tackle digs in bounds 
and that game is going to run out. But at least that's dynamic on the field. You're trying to react to a play. You don't know where Case Keenum is going to throw the ball. You don't know necessarily uh, what is going to happen. When you have an entire coaching staff of people and they are sitting around trying to make a decision about what to do in late-game situations, I don't understand how the decision to kick deep isn't made by the entire coaching staff. I've been on this for a long time that I think what we need in situations like this is a common-sense coach. You think about all the coaches that every NFL team has. And by the way, I think that Sean Payton could have used that when he made the decision to challenge twice. Now, the first challenge late in his game, and it didn't end up hurting him, but it could have. The first challenge, I think he got led astray by his sideline. He felt like there wasn't a catch made. I think it was by right. Uh, and so he rushed it and he threw the challenge flag. I can see how that happens. You don't have the time to review it. You're afraid that the uh, the Vikings are going to get the playoff too fast. The second one, how is that possible? How do you have somebody advising him, you know what, Case Keenum is down, when you've got people you should have anyway, somebody able to watch the television feed and see that in real time? That's just, to me, a failure of process and it's a failure of process in that situation with the Steelers, too. Because you have so much time from the moment when Roethlisberger throws that touchdown pass to make it 42-35. And you look at the clock and you say, okay, there's 218 remaining. We have the opportunity to bomb this ball deep. And then we have the opportunity to assume... I think it's an assumption, but you're you're making decisions based on rational actions, right? You have to assume that the uh, that the Jags are going to run the ball twice at least. Use your two timeouts, and then you put them in a situation. You say, okay, maybe they're going to throw the ball because it's almost the two minute warning, and you're not worried about necessarily what's going to take place there. I just. I just don't understand how a coach makes that decision. And not only the coach, but everybody who's advising the coach. The odds of you getting an onside kick are insanely low. And if you mess up like they did, then the Jags have an opportunity to come back and bomb through a field goal. Now, maybe they're thinking, okay, we're not going to jump off sides. But I, I, I still, I mean, again, when you're kicking off you're going to give them the ball on your side of the field. And they're only going to need a few yards to be with their leg of limbo. They're going to be in field goal range and have a chance to effectively end the game. Is there any way, I mean, in all honesty, is there any of the three of you guys who can make a defense of Mike Tomlin? Is there anybody out there, and Tomlin bears the brunt of this. It may not be Tomlin making the decision on the fly, but he's ratifying it. If he's not the guy who makes clock decisions, the Steelers may have a clock guy. He's got to be able to ratify it. It's just wrong. Anybody who can defend Tomlin's decision not to kick deep? Nope, not at all. I mean, Anybody what, that tried to make the other argument to me was just absolutely dumb. Like that, I, that made absolutely no sense. It basically handed the football game to them. It put the onus completely on the defense to basically stop them dead in their tracks. And even if they had stopped them, Jacksonville could have kicked it deep. It made no sense because Pittsburgh probably gets the ball near midfield 
after the punt. They're going to run the football. You know they are. Yes, you've had trouble stopping Fournette, but if you can't stop him, it doesn't matter. The game's going to be over anyway. That's exactly right. And you're kicking off from the 30, right? You kick off from the 30 in the NFL. So if the ball goes at least 10 yards, which in theory it should, then they're going to get the ball at the 41 or 42, right? And the best case scenario, you kick it just past 10 yards and they get the ball at the 41, you're 41 or 42, right? I'm correct in that. And then if they get eight yards, let's say, I mean, you just have to do the math. It's very basic. And the odds, again, of you getting the onside kick are not that great. I mean, in the NFL, onside kicks, and, and I understand there are people out there saying, hey, I'm a Packers fan. Remember what happened at the end of that game against the Seahawks when we got put into the uh, into the Super Bowl a couple of years ago? Yes, I understand. I understand that sometimes it can happen. Improbable results and improbable outcomes can happen. But the dynamic there is very unlikely. Um, and to me, you have to play the, the legitimate odds. And it's just a... It's just a really failure of coaching that Mike Tomlin be in that situation. And I think, honestly, is Mike Tomlin the guy? I think that's a question you can ask seriously about the Steelers right now. With all of their talent to have the results come down the way they did, I understand, look, Belichick may have gotten a break. The Jesse James touchdown should have stood. All of those things which could have altered the trajectory here. And then, obviously, the number one seed would have been the Steelers, and they would have gotten the Titans coming to town. And I think based on what happened to the Titans and the Steelers matchup in November, there would have been a very good chance that the Steelers would have won that game. I think the Patriots would have beaten the Jags, and then you would be hosting the Patriots, and we'd be talking about the Steelers having a good chance to go to the Super Bowl and Ben Roethlisberger having a good chance to win his third Super Bowl title. But even considering all of that, I just... It's not going to be as big of a topic of discussion because of the Williams failure at the end of the game there. But to me, that is a situation that deserves total examination. And again, L.A., anybody, can you guys defend Tomlin in any way here? I'd love to be a contrarian, Clay, but no. There's no way. You can't. And and, and again, if it's a decision that your average fan out there can make from a strategic perspective, I understand the argument of, well, you try the onside kick – and then you've got a 10% chance of getting the onside kick. And then if you get a stop, but the problem is if you get a stop, you're going to get a stop with them in field goal range. So, yeah, you put the onus on them. Do you want to try a field goal? But in the NFL, a 48, 49-yard field goal is like an 85% yes. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you could get lucky and they could miss the field goal there. But if you just kick it deep, they're going to hand off to Fournette probably three times and you're going to get the ball back with around a minute 45 or a minute 50, probably worst-case scenario, if they bomb a perfect kick, probably worst-case scenario at, like, your 30-yard line. And then you've got Roethlisberger with the offense that they have been running to perfection with basically plenty of time left to go down and score a touchdown. I just don't get it. I really, really don't get that decision. Let's bring in my guy, Eddie Garcia. Let's find out what's shaking in the world of sports. 
All right, Clay, of course, we start with the NFC Divisional Playoffs. On the NFC side, still talking about that miracle finish in Minnesota where the Vikings beat the Saints 29-24. Minnesota up 17-0 at the half. Then New Orleans has the comeback to take the lead late, 24-23. Ten seconds left. It was Minnesota quarterback Case Keenum hitting wide receiver Stephon Diggs with a 61-yard touchdown pass. He scores as time expires and the Eagles advance to the NFC Championship game where they'll take on the Eagles in Philadelphia next Sunday. On the AFC side, Jaguars jump out to a 21-0 lead in Pittsburgh, then beat the Steelers 45-42. Leonard Fournette, 109 yards on the ground, three touchdowns in that win for Jacksonville. Ben Roethlisberger did have five touchdown passes, but not enough to get his team the win. Jaguars advance to face the Patriots in Foxborough in the AFC Championship game. On Sunday, this report brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you know the exact price you'll pay for your next car, so visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay, quarterback news for both the losing teams on Sunday. Ben Roethlisberger, who's under contract through 2020, said after the game that he's looking forward to playing next year. Of course, he's been talking about and kind of flirting with retirement talk. As for New Orleans quarterback Drew Brees, he's an unrestricted free agent now, but he says he expects to re-sign with the Saints. He has a clause in his contract that forbids the Saints from using the franchise tag on him. Yeah, and, and I think that's an intriguing call. And by the way, we're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. I do think that's an intriguing decision by Drew Brees. I understand that in the post game he said, yes, I intend to return to the Saints, and it's a tough loss, and he kind of broke down all the difficulty there. But if I'm Drew Brees... Wouldn't you want – I mean, you're, he's going to turn 39 years old here shortly. And I know he said that he's going to play till he's 45 years old. We actually talked to him at the Super Bowl last year down in Houston, and he reiterated with us live on the air that he planned to play until he was 45 years old. And I understand that being his goal. But if you're Drew Brees and you've already got one Super Bowl, maybe he thinks and, – and I think that's fair – maybe he looks at this Saints team and he thinks, man – this is a Super Bowl team. We should have been in the Super Bowl this year. And I don't think that's an irrational thought because I think whoever won this game, Vikings or Saints, would go on the road and beat the Eagles. But if he looks there at this kind of situation and he's making a decision about whether or not to come back, don't you have to hit the open market and see who else might be interested in you? In particular, the Jags? Because the Jags have to decide right now whether or not they come back and pay Blake Bortles $19 million and pick up his option for a fifth year. And if they pick up his option for a fifth year, then I think they would have the right in theory to franchise him. So I don't think they have to sign him to a long-term deal. If I were advising the Jags, I would say, if you're going to pick up Bortles' contract, just pick up the $19 million one-year option. But I don't even think I would pick up Bortles' contract if I were the Jags. And I understand there's people out there who say, hey, he just won on the road. He made a couple of big throws in the fourth quarter. I'm not saying that Blake Bortles is the worst quarterback in the league. I'm just saying that he's not a $19 million a year quarterback. And I think probably what's going to end up happening, frankly, is that the Jags are going to re-up him for one year and give him another year to see whether or not he's the franchise guy. But if you could get Kirk Cousins or you could get Drew Brees, don't you have to make that move if you're the Jags? I mean, Jason Martin, if you were the GM right now and I came to you and I said, okay, here are the options. I think the Jags are going to lose by double digits against the Patriots. But regardless of what the outcome is of this game, don't you have to go explore the market as opposed to giving 
Blake Bortles, $19 million. I mean, here's the easy question to try to figure out. I'm big on markets. Is there anybody else in the NFL who's going to give Blake Bortles $19 million a year if he's a free agent? I think the answer is no. And there are a lot of teams in the NFL that need quarterbacks. I don't. Th- I could be wrong. Look, you know what Brock Osweiler got. And certainly he had less success in terms of the postseason than Blake Bortles has had. Blake Bortles, you want a crazy stat. Blake Bortles now has as many uh, playoff wins as Tony Romo does in his career. Uh, you want to be like, whoa. That's a stat that will make you say, whoa. Uh, Tony Romo, two playoff wins in his career. So... To me, the crazy thing about this is the Jags are actually in a much more difficult spot, I think, having won the game against the Steelers than they would have been if they had just gone up to Pittsburgh and gotten blown out. Now, if you're a Jags fan, you're saying, yeah, but we could still win the Super Bowl. Okay, yeah. In theory, you can win the Super Bowl. You can go on the road, you can beat Tom Brady, and then you can go beat either the Vikings or the Eagles, and you can win the Super Bowl with Blake Bortles. In practice, the likelihood is you're going to go on the road against the Patriots and lose – and if that happens, then what do you do with Bortles? What would you do if you were GM, Jason Martin? I would do exactly what you're saying. And that's nothing against Bortles. I think he can start in this league somewhere, but not at the money. Not when Drew Brees could potentially be out there. Not when or Kirk, Kirk Cousins, Cousins is out there. Yeah, I mean, or even Alex Smith. I mean, there, there are guys that are out there that you could bring in that could get this job done. And honestly, this to me is eerily similar to the Tennessee Titans. I believe and said it after the Kansas City game. The malarkey should have been gone. Yeah, I think he's a nine and seven football coach. So you look at him now; they're talking about an extension for that guy because he won that game. And he's saying he's not even going to change. Bortles, yeah, right. I mean, Bortles loses; it's not an argument. Exactly, and that's just insane. Rubisky being back is one of the dumbest ideas I can possibly imagine. Those are two football teams that, for the length or for the, I guess, longevity of their franchise and where they want to be three years from now, would have been better served to have lost football games potentially than won them because neither one of them is going to win the Super Bowl. You can win the battle and lose the war. I mean, I think that's the quintessential example of that. The Titans won the battle against Kansas City and may have lost the war because reports were that they had Josh McDaniels set to be signed as the next head coach. And obviously McDaniels now, the expectation, I think, is that he's going to go to the Colts in which case now not only do you not have Josh McDaniels as your own coach, you have to go up against him, and potentially if Andrew Luck can come back healthy, you have to go up against him with a really talented Andrew Luck coming off of injury that's going to be insanely difficult to overcome. I mean, that is that is a challenge that I don't think you want. And similarly, what about you guys in L.A.? Would you re-up with Blake Bortles for $19 million a year, or would you let him go? And by the way, I don't know what the rule is on the uh, on the the south. Like, if the Jags decide not to re up Blake Bortles and pick up his option for nineteen million dollars and change, and they allow him to go out to the open market, are they then allowed to sign him for like ten million dollars a year? If that's the if that's what his market value is, or if you de- decline to pick up the option, I, I would think that they could then sign him probably for less if nobody else is offering him substantially more. But I think, again, there are three guys out there, Drew Brees, Kirk Cousins, and and that's not even getting into Jimmy Garoppolo and the decision that the 49ers have to make, which, by the way, it seems like it's ridiculous that they're going to allow him to go anywhere. But you have Drew Brees, you have Kirk Cousins, and you have Alex Smith, all three of whom I think would be fairly substantial improvements over what you've got right now with Blake Bortles. Even not with, even the, given the fact that Blake Bortles has won two playoff games, I think you have to make that decision and just let him go. Now, maybe 
they feel the pressure because he won two playoff games to bring him back in for $19 million. What would you guys do? I would move on immediately. I mean, there's you know what Blake Bortles is, you know what he is, and whether he had a, a semi-decent game yesterday, which actually most of the game he played terribly. He had in the fourth a quarter, he made a couple quarter. of big calls, made and, big throws. And, yeah, and a great Bortles, opening drive. Yeah, Blake Bortles. And um, you know what he is, he's inconsistent, and if you have a defense like that, they're going to have some decent receivers coming back if they re-sign Allen Robinson. You you can't go into the season every day just saying, we'll drag our quarterback with us. He has to be the reason you win a couple of games. Yeah, I, I just think, I mean, the options out there are so much better for the Jags than what they have right now. All right, we'll talk about this these matchups now, AFC and NFC. Then at the start of Hour 3, we'll play you the audio, if you haven't heard it yet, of the improbable Vikings win. To me, there are two big stories that come out of Sunday's game. Saturday's games, I don't think there were really any big stories that came out of Saturday's games. I think the Patriots are good. The Titans are not that good. Titans got a couple of calls that went against them uh, that could have kept the game close in the first half that were, I mean, Patriot calls. Seems like the Patriots get every benefit they possibly could. Second half, that was a beatdown. There was nothing much going on there. That was maybe the greatest coaching mismatch in the history of the NFL, Belichick against Malarkey. I mean, come on. Uh, and then in the in the earlier game uh, that took place, I mean, again, that was a coin flip type situation. I thought the Falcons had bad play calls in that final first and goal situation where they had a chance to win the game. But again, it comes down to Julio with a chance to make a play in the back of the end zone. I don't necessarily like the decision to roll Matt uh, Ryan out there. I don't like limiting him when he's such a good at surveying the field in general. I don't like limiting him to one side. And he's also not mobile enough to score there. I don't like that call. I certainly did not like the call to uh, do the shovel pass on second down when you've got the receiving core that the Falcons do. Um, I, I thought that was overthinking things by Steve Sarkeesian. But I don't know that there was a ton of stories that came out of Saturday. To me, the decision not to kick deep by Kevin uh, by by uh, by Mike Tomlin, Tomlin and the decision. By the way, Kevin Sumlin to the Arizona. I like that hire, a uh, big time hire there. But the decision by Tomlin to kick deep, and also simultaneously the decision by Williams not to be in the right place, not to make that tackle. So much to talk about from Sunday. We'll repack all that. I'm Clay Travis. This is Southgate, the coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Wouldn't you love a bigger tax refund? Tax Slayer was recently rated number one for maximum refunds, so you have more cash to spend on whatever the heck you want. This tax season, go out and slay it. Max your refund at taxslayer.com. I'm Clay Travis. Thanks for spending your Monday with us. We work on all the holidays here. Happy Martin Luther King Day to everybody out there. Many of you, I'm guessing, working as well. We were on Christmas. We're on New Year's Day. And we're on here as well, breaking down the four NFL divisional round playoff games. And to me, the biggest storylines of both, uh, first of all, was it more of a choke by the Saints or a clutch win by the Vikings? 68% of you with uh, thousands of votes rolling in early this morning, just over 7,000 of you have voted in the poll question. You can go find uh, the question at Clay Travis on Twitter. Was it more of a choke by the Saints or a clutch win by the Vikings? 68% of you said a choke by the Saints, 32% clutch win by the Vikings. I also still think the Mike Tomlin decision to not kick deep is just about as bad as the Williams decision. Look, as as you go through sports improbable outcomes, in 2012, 
the Denver Broncos had their game won against the Baltimore Ravens. That was the first year that Peyton Manning was in Denver. Raheem Moore is back deep at safety and just totally whiffs on a deep ball. Just totally whiffs. The Ravens complete the pass, go on and win the Super Bowl over Colin Kaepernick and the San Francisco 49ers that year. Was really the Broncos' year. That should have been the Broncos' year. The next year, I believe, they're in the Super Bowl. The Broncos are. They lose to the Seahawks. And then they come back and get the win with Peyton Manning in 2015 over Cam Newton. But that might have been, Jason Martin, you're a Bronco fan. That might have been the best year the Broncos had in terms of their odds to go on and win the Super Bowl. That was an absolute heartbreaker. It was one that took a long time to get over as a fan because it seemed like it was right there within your grasp. That was a hell of a football game, uh, as the one yesterday was. There was 44 seconds left when Raheem Moore whiffed on just knocking the ball down and allowed the touchdown pass to happen. Improbable Joe Flacco and the Ravens went on and won the Super Bowl that year. Uh, when really probably the best team in the NFL that year was the Broncos. I mean, you know, who knows what would have happened, but the Broncos win that game. They're hosting, I believe. You remember this better than I would. They would have been hosting the AFC title game, correct, uh, Jason uh, yes. Martin? I think so, mm-hmm. in, in, in Mile High. And obviously they've had a lot of success in that stadium over the years, but that was a tough loss. And so this game, when I saw it, it immediately reminded me of that. And then I think the other question you immediately flash to is, I feel bad for Marcus Williams. Look, he's a rookie. Yes, he's already played a full season at that point in time. And I don't even think being a rookie has anything to do that much with this decision. Because this is not like some veteran play that the safety needs to understand. You're the last line of defense at the end of the game. You can't let a wide receiver get behind you. And he tried to answer questions about it. I'm sure it's a brutal feeling. And I hate to see it's like when you see a game come down to kickers, especially in college football and overtime, I'm always rooting for the kicker to make the kick. I'd rather the kickers both make the kicks and somebody else make a play to be able to uh, to win. But that, to me, was a choke job. I mean, all he's got to do is take his time getting over there. Stephon Diggs got up high and made a great catch, but you know when he came back down, if you watch that play, when he landed, it was like Diggs paused for a minute because he was expecting to get tackled. It took him a minute to realize, hey, wait a minute, there's nobody here. He landed, and then he ended up with the most improbable win in the history of the NFL playoffs. We've never had a walk-off on the final play like this ever before in the history of the NFL. So he paused for a second, expecting to get hit, and then it didn't happen, and then he took it on into the end zone. It wasn't just Williams not making the play. It's that he took out everybody else on that sideline for the Saints, in the process that could have made the made the tackle. I mean, it's as if Williams became the primary blocker for Stephon Diggs. He didn't just miss the tackle himself, but he also became the primary tackler. And I understand he was playing out of control there. He got there before the pass did, and I think he was afraid of hitting Diggs and getting a pass interference penalty. And as a result, he dodged him and took out his own guy. What he should have done was just be playing more under control. I understand as a safety, what you're trying to do is break up passes like that. But in that situation, he just needed to arrive there, allow Diggs to go up, make the tackle, and make the tackle himself. In fact, he doesn't even need to make the tackle. If he just slows up Diggs, there are two other New Orleans Saints players there within a couple of yards away. One of those guys would have likely gotten there if he just slows Diggs up a little bit and they make the tackle. 
And all they got to do is make the tackle in bounds. Now, if Diggs is able to get out of bounds, that's credit to Diggs because then they could have attempted the field goal and the Saints could have theoretically lost on a, missed, on, a, on a field goal made by the Vikings there at the end of the game. But that's, again, that is to me the quintessential question. You just had a timeout taken. You have to assume that he was told, hey, all we got to do is tackle them in bounds. There was 10 seconds left when that play started, and I haven't seen the, the minute, the second by second, but I can't imagine there's more than four seconds left or five seconds at the absolute apex when Diggs comes down with the ball. All you have to do is tackle him in bounds there, and it's not even that the Vikings don't have a chance to get a playoff. They don't even have time to get lined up. The clock would have run out before the Vikings ever got anywhere near the line of scrimmage. No way Diggs himself could even get back. No way the officials could spot the ball. There was a 0% chance of the Vikings winning that game if the Saints secondary, Williams in particular, just makes that, t- that tackle. Final, sec- final hour of the show. Up next, I'll kick the coverage. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. What an unbelievable Sunday of football action. If you watched the Jags go on the road and beat the Steelers, congratulations on a time well spent. If you didn't turn off the game and you sat through every second of the game between the Saints and the Vikings, you saw sports history that will be talked about for the next 20 years or more for sure. Here is what it sounded like on the Vikings radio network. Case on a deep drop, steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side, caught by Diggs. Stay oh, my God, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? It's a Minneapolis miracle. Stephon Diggs and the Minnesota Vikings have lost up on the New Orleans Saints. It's a 61-yard Minneapolis miracle. And then we also had Stephon Diggs on ESPN reacting to that play. Here's what he had to say. I still don't know what just happened. I really don't. Yes. All I can say is give it to God because without him, nothing, nothing is possible, and I wouldn't be here. So, damn, that did feel good. It did feel good if you were a Vikings fan. It felt pretty awful if you were a Saints fan. In fact, this is pretty improbable and incredible. If you are a uh, – the only time like people really pay attention to newspapers at times, it seems like the print edition anyway, is for what the front pages look like on Twitter. And the front page of the New Orleans Times-Picune says simply above a picture of Stephon Diggs streaking towards the uh, end zone with both of the Williams uh, safeties and, uh, and the corner standing looking at him as he's scoring – Expletive, expletive, expletive. Um, that's pretty awesome as the front page of the Times-Picayune. Again, I tweeted that out. Um, a uh, An incredibly uh, unbelievable ending there. The poll question is up. Is it more of a choke job by the Saints or a clutch win by the Vikings? Uh, just about 10,000 of you have voted and 68% of you are saying it is more of a choke by the Saints than a clutch win by the Vikings. Well, as excited and unbelievable as Stefan Diggs felt it was, and as exciting as the Vikings were over that win, the downside certainly was the play by the safety Williams. He was asked about it after the game, and he had this to say. At that point, you know, I just got to make the tackle when he comes down. You know, it's just 
those little things that you that you see and you got to make sure you you do all that you can to get them down regardless there's only 10 seconds left i knew the situation uh, you got to make sure you you got to make sure you make the play and that he did not make the play and as a result i think the vikings are going to have a special season i think the vikings are going to beat the eagles and advance to the super bowl meanwhile the jags also get an upset road victory blake bortles and company headed to foxborough where the New England Patriots are a double-digit favorite and Bill Belichick is already designing defensive schemes that will likely give Blake Bortles nightmares for years to come. But all of that is in the future. I'm taking a few of your calls, 877-996-6369. Let's go up to South Dakota or North Dakota. Which one is it, Jason Martin? Fargo's in North Dakota. Fargo in North Dakota. Let's go to Paul in Fargo. What's up, Paul? Hey, Clay, how's it going? I hope you had a good weekend. Uh, to answer the poll question, I definitely think it was more of a choke job by the Saints. Uh, I was with a group of friends watching the game, and on that last play when Diggs made that catch, he just starts running. Half of us stood up and just started screaming, you know, get out of bounds, you moron, because we were sure that there were Saints defenders behind the play. I mean, <laughs> right. why wouldn't there be? So I really think the Saints kind of blew it there. Uh, but he scored the touchdown. We won the game. Uh, I love that call by Paul Allen, the Vikings play-by-play guy. He's, he's entertaining when he gets excited. Uh, we're still in a bit of shock. I mean, we're so used to being on the other side of plays like this. But well, maybe it's the cold weather. Who knows? Uh, and real quick, I totally agree with everything you said earlier about that if you would have told me that the Steelers would score 42 points and lose or, you know, that if the Eagles would have scored 15 points and won, I wouldn't have believed you. And real quick, last thing, I agree with what you said about the Patriots having an easy road to the Super Bowl. I mean, they're going to go to possibly go to the Super Bowl without having to play the Steelers or the Saints, and those are the only two teams in the playoffs that have quarterbacks with Super Bowl rings. So we're headed to Philadelphia. Um, I don't mind that we're going to Philly instead of hosting Atlanta, actually, because with the Nick Foles Eagles, we shouldn't have to score a ton of points to win the game, and we have shown the ability to win on the road. I think we were like 6-2 and two on the road this year. Uh, see what happens on Sunday. I guess. Thanks for the call. Clay J. Mart, have a great week, you guys. Appreciate it. I mean, I actually do feel good for Vikings fans because they've been through so much. Our our uh, boss here, Scott Shapiro, is a uh, Minneapolis native and a huge fan. And I, I honestly think the storyline that could be incredible if we're up in, in Minnesota and the Vikings are, are fortunate enough to beat the Eagles, as I think they're going to be, is what are the tickets going to cost? Like the people who are going to be really unhappy in Minneapolis, the only people who will be unhappy in Minneapolis will be the hotel people. Because just like the, there were tons of hotel rooms that suddenly became available, if the Vikings advance, then they're not traveling and staying in hotels by substantial numbers. So there'll be a ton of hotel rooms that'll come open, just like happened in Atlanta when Georgia and Alabama were there. You could get a, you, I got a, you get a suite for like 100 bucks a night in Atlanta because suddenly nobody's traveling in for the game. Nobody's staying over. The other question that I think will become paramount is, is it good for the NFL for Hall of Fame quarterbacks to finally not be in the mix. Like, I, I'd be stunned beyond belief if the Jags go on the road and beat the Patriots. But I do think, and we'll probably talk about this a decent amount this week, I do think you can make an argument that having a Blake Bortles against Case Keenum or Nick Foles is good for the NFL because it can convince teams that their team, fans and teams, that their team has a chance to win even if they don't have a superstar quarterback. Because if I go all the way back right now to, let's stop in 2003, Brad Johnson and Rich Gannon was the last time you had two quarterbacks who were 
not going to be Super Bowl guys, right? Who were not, I mean, who are not going to be Hall of Fame guys. Since then, who, here's who's won the Super Bowl Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Eli, Joe Flacco, who's really probably the only, the most difficult question at this point in time. Russell Wilson, who I think it's fair to say, based on the way he started his career, looks like a Hall of Fame quarterback. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. So if Brady wins it again, then I think the argument's going to remain pretty consistent that 40-year-old Tom Brady wins it and they're still in a good position to be able to contend if you have a Super Bowl winning quarterback. And by the way, if the Patriots win by double digits in both these games, it's really going to be a dent at the end of the season not a lot of drama. But if you ended up with a Jags versus Vikings or Eagles and you got two effective backups in Case Keenum or Nick Foles versus Blake Bortles, all bets are off, right? Then maybe a lot of other teams out there are thinking to themselves, maybe we don't lead an elite quarterback. Maybe anybody can end up being able to win a Super Bowl. That, I think, becomes the question. Because I think the odds were, if you'd been betting before the season started and you'd had who's going to win the Super Bowl – and you'd had Tom Brady, and you'd had Case Keenum, and you'd had Nick Foles, and you had had uh, certainly Blake Bortles. Is there anybody, I mean, how much money would you have put on Tom Brady if somebody said one of these four guys is going to win the Super Bowl this year? Other than Brady getting injured, is there anybody on earth listening to me right now that would have put their money on those other three quarterbacks? I'm not even sure the moms and dads of those other three quarterbacks would have put their money on their sons to win the Super Bowl. I think they would have put their money on Brady, too. One of the most improbable Final Four quarterbacks we have ever seen. And what exactly is going to happen? Who the hell knows? We'll have to uh, to break it down. Again, three unproven quarterbacks, Case Keenum, Blake Bortles, and Nick Foles, versus maybe the greatest quarterback of all time and maybe the greatest coach of all time. It seems like a mismatch. That's why I believe the Patriots have won their sixth title as long as Brady doesn't get hurt. We will talk about that a little bit with Jason Whitlock. We'll also talk about the day, the big day, Martin Luther King Day. What does he believe about all of the racial animus, I would say, that exists in our country today? Yes, I said it. Jason uh, Jason Whitlock and myself, we are going to make the world a better place. We're going to bring white people and black people together in mutual harmony here. We shall overcome. Up next, outkick the coverage. It's Jason Whitlock on Fox Sports Radio. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. This is a confident show, especially when we're joined by our guy Jason Whitlock at Whitlock Jason on Twitter. More of a choke job by the Saints is the question of the day, Jason, before we get into bigger issues, or more of an improbable victory by the Vikings. You played football, college football at Ball State. When you watched that play happen, were you thinking, oh my God, I can't believe the Vikings pulled it off, or oh my God, I can't believe the Saints blew it like that? I saw your question on your Twitter page 30 minutes ago. I don't have an answer. I, I, I both thoughts went through my mind. Uh, listen, I've been someone all year who was a believer in Case Keenum, that he plays with a big pair between his legs, much bigger than people give him credit for, 
And so he made a kind of improbable, incredible play that I actually thought all year he was capable of. Then Stefan Diggs, uh, you know, finishes that play in improbable fashion. And, of course, Marcus Williams just blew technique and lost his mind and, and whiffed. Uh, and so the Saints somewhat choked, but I, I just I'm not surprised that Case Keenum uh, made that play. Uh, you and Case Keenum's mom and dad are the only three people yeah. in America not surprised. <laughs> uh, all right, so that play is big. The other one that I think is getting overshadowed: Mike Tomlin's management down the stretch of the Steelers, and in particular the decision not to kick deep with two timeouts, two-minute warning still there, and you know the Jags are probably going to run Leonard Fournette three times like they did even though they got the onside kick. Were you sitting there watching that game also and saying, what in the world are you thinking not kicking deep? Because this wasn't 2020 hindsight. This was live watching it. I was saying, my God, you have to kick deep here. Yeah, it it made no sense. I'm not dodging the question, but I want to just – throw this out there, I thought coaching decisions all across the board in all these games was just wild. Uh, You know, what Atlanta did at the end of their game, rolling out and throwing to a guy that they've had no success with all season in the red zone, uh, (laughs) you know, throwing to in the end zone, Julio Jones, I thought that was crazy. I I thought that Mike Zimmer and Sean Payton both exchange just like, what are you doing, decisions at the end of the game. So there's a lot of pressure at the end of these playoff games. And, you know, Mike Tomlin's decision may be the easiest and may be the worst, but I saw it across the board in all these playoff games. I saw you beating up Mike Malarkey for, you know, dumb decisions at the end or during the Tennessee game with the uh, Patriots. So, Playoff Let me talk about that. We didn't even do. yes, we didn't even mention this. Maybe the dumbest decision making I've ever seen. Mike, for because everybody forgot because the Titans just ended up getting blown out. But late in the first half, with like twelve seconds, I've never yeah. seen this happen before. Mike Malarkey. Uh, so the Titans are one yard short. Okay, they have to make, and some people may have forgotten this play again. I'm glad you brought it up because I didn't even mention it all day. Mike Malarkey has got a decision to make. It is fourth down and one yard to go. The Titans have one timeout left, and they take their timeout on to stop the clock. And uh, after Mariota was out of bounds, so the clock was stopped already. They can't get a playoff in time, so they stop. They take a uh, take to their last timeout. And then they run the ball with Derrick Henry. So even if they had gotten a first down there, they were going to have to get on the ball and spike it and not have any time left. Mike Malarkey is not a smart man. But this kind of ties in all together with this. Do you think it's just the pressure that makes these guys lose their minds? And if that's the case, why do you not have a designated strategy guy on your staff who is there, just like you have a guy who's going to be like, hey, you need to challenge it or not? (laughs) Yeah, but if you know you're bad at it, I've been on this for a long time. If you know you lose your mind and you get lost in the overall flow of the game and you can't make good decisions in the the spur of the moment, like, I think I would be good in that. If if the Titans wanted, when you consider Until you held the job, you would be good at it. I just, I I would be great at it. I think Belichick's good at it. 
and everybody else, and, and Belichick occasionally struggles, but again, I'm looking at Mike Zimmer at the end of that game. They kept throwing the ball, and I was like, they left a minute and 30, and the Saints with their yes. timeout. That was unbelievable. It was, and I was like, this is crazy. And, I, you know, the two challenges by Sean Payton were crazy. And so I, I, I will say this: the first one, he might not have had any actual info, and he was reacting to his sideline and emotion, also to the fact. Yes, but that one, at least you don't have full information. Challenging the decision on whether or not he was still up or not—that's yeah. where you should fire somebody because they have super slow mo to go through that and say, "No, no, no, he was definitely still up." So I, I just think all these coaches struggle. I think the pressure and just. You know, maybe it's because it seems like it's more of a struggle now. And so maybe it's social media and guys knowing, oh, I'm going to get ripped. And and so I just see a lot of coaches choking. And, again, I, I, Mike Tomlin may have, may have had the biggest choke job because that was a really easy decision, just kick it deep. But I saw all these guys do silly stuff. Oh, it's a, I'm, I'm, I'm so mad now about that Mike Malarkey in retrospect. I had forgotten about it because I was so focused yeah. on the Sunday games, but the decision at the end of the first half, and by the way, this is a great example. Let me ask you this because this is the other big questions we've been asking. If you were the Jags, Blake Bortles is worth $19 million if you pick up his option. You don't know what's going to happen against the Patriots, although I think the Patriots are going to win by double digits, but we'll wait and see. What do you do if you are the GM of the Jags? If you're Tom Coughlin, the VP, you're sitting back and you're making a decision, do you let him just leave and go out and try to get Alex Smith or maybe Drew Brees, he's a free agent, certainly Kirk Cousins, there's guys out there that you potentially could grab? Yeah, there there are better options than Blake Bortles. I think that's an easy decision. You do not overpay for Blake Bortles, and I, I think Alex Smith would be a perfect option for the Jaguars. You're a loyal guy, but you also have changed jobs at some point over the course of your career multiple times. Drew Brees is 39 years old. If you were Drew Brees, would you basically shut down all the other 31 teams in the league if you think you're going to play for a few more years, or would you continue to re-up one year at a time with the Saints? No, I think you, at his age, I'd sign a three- or four-year deal with the Saints. Why would you leave that team that seems to be on an upswing? You got two great running backs. You got Michael Thomas, great receiver. Ted Ginn played his ass off this year. Your defense is improving, and you got this relationship with Sean Payton in the city of New Orleans. Why go anyplace else? Well, I think they're basically telling him, we'll only commit to you one year at a time. And, I mean, I'm just saying, if the Jags came to you and said, we'll give you $75 million for a three-year deal, um, you really think the Saints are only going to offer this guy a one-year deal? That's what they've been saying, that they're they're taking it a year at a time. Yeah, that's stupid and silly. And Yeah, if if that's the case, he's going to bounce. We're talking to Jason Whitlock. Go follow him on Twitter, at WhitlockJason. All right, this has been, like, in addition to the tumultuous decision-making of the divisional round to the NFL playoffs, this has been one of the most tumultuous seasons in the history of the NFL. And we got big picture. We talked small picture there about everything going on. Let's talk big picture NFL. Let's pretend that I am Roger Goodell or you are Roger Goodell and we're sitting around trying to figure out how to make things work in the years ahead for the NFL. First of all, do you think this controversy over the anthem is over or do you think next year it's going to reemerge again? I'm probably 55% thinking it's over, uh, but... I, 
part of me thinks it will reemerge again because I, I'm not sure how the NFL, I'm the Goodell and Joe Lockhart and those guys, I'm not sure how they feel about it in terms of, I think, Jerry Jones and a lot of hardcore football people have a strong point of view that, you know, we got to get this out of football. But I'm not sure if the guys in New York that run the league, if they feel as strongly and as passionately about that, and have they communicated that to all the players. Uh, but but I think there's plenty of proof that it's not good for football, and eventually, and it's cost, to me, television networks money this year uh, in terms of the ratings dip. But, you, you, Clay, I, I was actually wondering after yesterday, and again, I, maybe I'm making too much of one game, but that game yesterday is historic and just a reminder of, like, Man, football is awesome. The best sport football in American history. Is is great. And so I'm wondering if that reminder doesn't trump everything that has transpired this season. And will we remember this season, particularly if the Vikings went on and won the Super Bowl, will we remember this season for that game and this playoffs more so than the kneeling? It's indisputable that the NFL needed a game like this to happen, where everybody's focus is entirely like, like if you are sitting down, did the, cha- the Saints choke or did the Vikings win? There's, it's all football related, right? Yeah. And I feel like much of the conversation over the past couple of years, whether it's domestic violence, whether it is kneeling, whether it is CTE, almost none of the big stories dealing with the NFL have had to do with actual football related stories. And that has been a huge distraction and hindrance to the league. I think you look at the ratings, certainly fans have not responded to it favorably. But you raise a good point. Is it possible that this is almost like the moment that cleanses all of the bad taste? You know, it's like I've had a lot of bad meals. But if the dessert is good, I don't think necessarily about how bad the meal was. Is the dessert good enough that it's going to help cleanse the palate from a bad meal? I, I just, I thought about, and again, I, I, I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan. I thought about this game all night and just how pleased and satisfied and how entertaining and just remarkable. And it just reminded me again, it's like, man, I love football. And nothing, nothing delivers like football. And this morning I was watching the highlights and just how that stadium exploded and Stefan Diggs and Case Keenum and just, that was a historic moment, I think. Again, it's like Franco Harris had the immaculate reception, and I think Pitt, I think Pittsburgh went on to win the Super Bowl, or that's my memory of it. Uh, and if the Vikings close this out and play the Super Bowl uh, at home, I just think we'll be talking and writing and thinking about this game forever. And and to me, it's like someone tweeted at me, I, I didn't watch the game, you know, NFL boycott. And all I saw was, man, you were stupid because you just missed something that was just tremendous. Amen. Let's bring in uh, my guy, Eddie Garcia. Let's get an update here, and then we're going to go back to uh, Jason Whitlock at Whitlock. Jason, continue our conversation. Eddie, what you got for us? All right, of course, the NFL Divisional Playoffs on Sunday means that we have the championship game set in each conference. In the NFC side, it'll be the Vikings against the Eagles. 
thanks to Minnesota's miraculous comeback against the Saints. 29-24, they beat New Orleans after blowing a 17-0 lead and trailing 24-23 in the final moments. Ten seconds left. It was a Case Keenum 61-yard touchdown pass to Stephon Diggs with no time left to win the game for the Vikings. In the AFC, Jaguars jump out to a 21-0 lead, then hold off the Steelers for a 45-42 victory. Leonard Fournette, 109 yards on the ground, three touchdowns. So Jacksonville will advance to face the Patriots in the AFC title game in Foxborough on Sunday. This report brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you know what the exact price you'll pay for your next car will be. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay, real quick, a NFL and college football note. Buffalo Bills have hired Brian Dable to be their offensive coordinator. Of course, he spent last season with Alabama as their offensive coordinator, helping the Crimson Tide win the national championship. That's a good point, and we'll talk about that some later this week. I'm curious whether Nick Saban might be willing to go sign Hugh Freeze and bring him in as the next offensive coordinator. He's obviously had redemption stories with Lane Kiffin, with Steve Sarkeesian to a certain extent. We'll see what's coming there. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Got Jason Whitlock on with us. Go follow him on Twitter at Whitlock. Jason, watch his show. Speak for yourself with Colin Cowherd Afternoons on FS1. Jason, it's Martin Luther King Day. And so, uh, obviously, many people working today, many people also have the day off across the country uh, running with us as they start their day. We appreciate them. Uh, But let's make the world a better place here. Um, It seems to me, I was thinking about this last night um, as I did my show prep. I'm not an expert on race relations by any stretch of the imagination, but I do love sports. And you love sports. And just about everybody out there who's listening to us right now loves sports as well. And I was thinking back in my life as an adult. 1998, 2008, now 2018. I think this year has been the most racially freighted year that I can remember, the one we just finished, 2017, in the history of sports. And certainly the one probably before that was 2016, right? Now we're in 2018. Is 2018 going to be more like the years that I'm thinking of, like 1998, 2008? Or are things going to continue to be as perilous and racially divisive as they have been the previous two years i think the racial divide is going to continue because i think it's being financed by people that you know want to see chaos in america and so you know i i think much of the uh non-substantive uh very divisive uh, racial care, it, it, again, it's being sponsored. Black Lives Matters was being f- sponsored and financed. And I, I think the kind of journalism we've seen, very simplistic, very uh, stupid and non-nuanced and just name-calling, I think is being financed and it's going to continue to be financed. People want the racial division in America because they're trying to promote chaos in America and, you know, see us fall. So I I don't think it's going anywhere. Are people going to wisen up and see that this is being financed and rigged and and that people are trying to promote division within America? I I think you're going to see more of that. And, you know, Clay, when I – uh, when you invited me on and I wanted to come on, there was a very interesting Wall Street Journal column oh, by Shelby article. Steele uh, over the weekend. And 
I don't agree with all of the column, but I thought it was just very fascinating. His argument basically was that the NFL protest failed and that protest is a failing strategy by black Americans at this point. Uh, you know, I, he argued, I thought pretty well, that uh, protest used to be the path for advancement for African Americans. But now he's arguing that in 2017, 2018, and in this time, protest just isn't effective, that it's lost its way with the majority community in America. And he says that the protests in the NFL were an abject failure, and that that should be a signal to black America that we need a new strategy that goes well beyond protest. And it is a fascinating article. I shared it on Twitter. I think you did as well. I mean, and, and again, I think it's just thought-provoking. The author is Shelby Steele. It was on the opinion page of the Saturday-Sunday Wall Street Journal, and the headline was, Black Protest Has Lost Its Power with a Picture of the San Francisco 49ers Protesting. And, and it raised an interesting question. And I, I, I was interested in how people were going to respond on Twitter, and I wanted to ask you this because – it seems that anytime you have an opinion that is outside the prevailing norm, in particular on racial issues, if you are black and you live this all the time, you get attacked as not being supportive enough of your race, of being, you know, the phrase obviously that gets tossed around all the time as an Uncle Tom. Like, is that in any why does that exist? I mean, I, I'm kind of fascinated by that in general because I can't think of, and I'm not an expert on all races, but certainly there's no white person who has an opinion that gets attacked by other white people as being not representative of the race. And I'm not enough of an expert on Asian issues, frankly, or Hispanic issues, but I certainly don't see it as prominently in those racial groups. Why is it that if you challenge orthodoxy in the black community, you get attacked so vociferously? Because as a political strategy, the liberal aspect of the Democratic Party uh, polices black thought. Again, 90, we vote democratically somewhere 95%, and they police that. They don't, that's a stranglehold that they don't want to let go. And so they have convinced black people that if all your thoughts aren't liberal, you're not black, and there's no other ethnic group that has to align itself with one political point of view in order to maintain credibility within their race. We are policed, and our thoughts are policed in a way like no other race is, and we've fallen for it. Uh, we've lost the freedom to think independently, and, you know, we've been trained that if, if someone black thinks independently and actually has confidence in black people, it's like, no, 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 maybe we should consider different strategies and different approaches. That person is deemed a sellout. The only thing you can be is liberal and vote Democratic. That's the only solution for black people. And I just don't think that solution has been working out well for us. And we should, again, I don't agree with everything Shelby still wrote here, but we should damn sure consider it and think about it and not dismiss it uh, and take our thinking to a higher level because he certainly raises some legitimate concerns of, about you know our strategy and philosophy. Is it working? 
almost 50 years ago, Martin Luther King was assassinated in April of 1968. And it's always hard to think about what historic figures would think about life today. But if you were think you could bring Martin Luther King Jr. back into the present day and see what society would be like, what do you think he would think about the status and the role of black life in America today? And in particular, the fact that, like you just said, 95% of people out there who are voting are voting one way or the other. We're also coming off a two-term black president. How do you think 50 years later, Martin Luther King would be able to assess the status of the country today compared to when he was assassinated? I think his first thought would just be that as African Americans, we've walked away from the church and, and the spirituality and faith that has carried us throughout American history, and I think he would be devastated and concerned by that. And then I think when he started thinking politically, uh, he would start thinking about we've surrendered, abandoned the moral high ground. And that was the part of uh, Shelby Steele's article that, that I don't think he articulated clearly or, or just avoided. But the reason why protest doesn't work is because Martin Luther King and that generation, they had the moral high ground. Their argument and their protest was at a higher moral level than their opponents. And well, we don't have that right now with Black Lives Matters and the whole uh, police brutality protest that we're doing. We're avoiding logic. And so the, the lie, it's just failing to, and again, does it move the choir? Absolutely. But the rest of the people you're trying to get to join the congregation are looking at you like, hey, man, I get that the police make mistakes, but they make mistakes with white people as well. And in comparison to the amount of black violence towards other black people, you're not standing on the moral high ground crucifying the police and ignoring the violence that we as black people do to each other. The argument just falls apart right there. We've surrendered the moral high ground, and that's why protest doesn't work. And I think Martin Luther King, if around today, again, would be pointing out, we've walked away from the church, that's a mistake, and we've surrendered the moral high ground, that's a mistake. And so, and again, I th the guy, uh, Shelby Steele's article at the end uh, talks about him and <laughs> homogeny, and our le he's talking about our leadership has, it's everything is about victimhood. We're victims, we're victims, we're victims. That's our leadership strategy. That's a mistake. It doesn't work. The world just doesn't bow to victims. The, the world, at the end of the day, is a jungle, and victims get eaten and swallowed. That's just the way the world operates. And so, uh, you know, I think Martin Luther King would have an understanding of that as well. So that's, you know, my thoughts. And again, I'm only speaking for myself. That would be my thoughts on where Martin Luther King would be. All right, we're going to finish with Jason Whitlock next. Powerful segment at Whitlock Jason. Go follow him on Twitter. Let him know what you think. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. 
What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. I'm Clay Travis. We're joined now by Jason Whitlock. Follow him on Twitter at WhitlockJason. You can react, obviously, to anything that either of us are saying, and you can find us on Twitter there. Uh, Jason, really good stuff last segment, and you were closing off with the moral high ground. And to me, one of the fascinating questions about protest in general is the moral high ground is predicated oftentimes on trying to be better than the people that you are protesting. It's a fascinating question. If you read, and I'm a history buff, you read about the civil rights movement, you read about Martin Luther King Jr. and everything that that he stood for, almost entirely the civil rights movement, you read those guys and those women who were involved and so brave in their in their struggle, and they were always saying we have to be better than the people that we are protesting against. Somewhere along the way, it seems to me that the idea of being better, which is an innately American goal, right? Be better than someone else. That's ultimately why America has succeeded across the board, has been lost. Would you agree also, in addition, and we're talking about why the the, the protest in the NFL hasn't worked necessarily now, that historically, that desire to be better than the people you're protesting isn't necessarily still there. The culture isn't being lifted up like it was during the civil rights movement. No, I think you're a thousand percent accurate. I think that a lot of what you're seeing is, hey, we're going to beat bigotry with our version of bigotry. And (laughs) that's just not how it works. And, you know, only love can conquer hate. It's a cliche, but it's true. And it's what powered uh, Martin Luther King and that movement. I, I want to throw in a little fact, and, and again, it's early in the morning out here in L.A., and I, I may not say this a thousand percent accurate, but I, I do want to say that the government, in reaction to Martin Luther King and the success that the church, black church had, instituted laws in the aftermath of the civil rights movement that made it much harder for the black church or for any church to serve in any kind of political way. You you risk losing your uh, untaxed status or your charitable uh, designation if the church becomes too political. And that's why you've seen guys like Al Sharpton and even Jesse Jackson, they'll start a rainbow coalition or the National Network whatever alliance rather than operating from their church. And so the government figured out, oh, a lot of this black protest and upheaval, it came from the church. How can we stop another Martin Luther King from ever coming about? How do we uh, get them away from the church and lose that spiritual base? And so the laws were changed. And so, again, I think if Martin Luther King were here today, he would be like, okay, there was a strategy employed to make sure there would never be another Martin Luther King, someone coming from the church. And and so, again, I I just go back. The loss of the moral high ground, the loss of our spiritual base, and these things are both connected. You stay on the moral high ground because you're grounded in spirituality and a faith in a higher power. So many people now reject Christianity, reject spirituality, and religion, and just want to write it all off as bad. And look, the church has its problems. Every institution has its problems. But I just have never seen anything 
work as well for black people as spirituality and a faith in God. That has been our salvation for hundreds of years here in America, and we're foolish for walking away from it. You also talked about the victimization culture. What is fascinating to me is sports is the ultimate opposite of the victimization culture. In sports, you only rely on yourself and your teammates. It's us against the world. And a line that I've always tried to teach to my kids, but I picked up along the way, is the only hand you can rely on is the one at the end of your sleeve. What about that conflict between sports where you are responsible for yourself and the larger society where you believe, you know what, we're victims, we can't succeed? Listen, I'm from, I was raised in the church and I was an athlete, and so all my values are taken from that. And, uh, you know, I think in sports, again, if these athletes really understood what has made them financially secure and successful, it's the values taught in sports, and a lot of what they're doing is not reflective of those values taught in sports. And so, and again, if you really understand liberalism and what it teaches black people, that basically it teaches a it teaches to me white supremacy that you're nothing as black people without white people unless white people. Uh, come and save you, and the government comes and the white government comes and saves you, you can accomplish nothing in America. And there are those of us that believe, no, 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 that's not true. We can be the primary solvers of any of our problems and the primary engine to our success collectively as black people and individually as black people, we actually believe in ourselves and believe in black people. And again, that's not letting uh, America off the hook for racism and obstacles in front of us, but it's about who's going to solve these problems and who's going to be the primary engine. And there are those of us that believe we can do that. Liberalism, I'm just sorry, at this point, it just teaches the total opposite and so I, I hear a lot of these people what jason i've got to i've got to cut you off there because the show is ending we need to have you on again we got to have whitlock on tomorrow text him you want him on tweet him you want him on i'm out kick oh, 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 are your wiper blades chattering skipping or squeaking don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility when it's time to replace your wiper blades stop by o'reilly auto parts and see our selection our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait stop by o'reilly auto parts today oh 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 o'reilly auto parts it's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at First, first listen. listen. 
this season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge Podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.